everyone. Dr. Jennifer here. Over the years, I've been a guest on hundreds of podcast episodes, talking through important concepts and ideas that help couples create thriving marriages. In Room for Two, I take those same concepts and show you exactly how to apply them to your own life and marriages. In each episode, you're going to listen to me working with a real couple, and that is when you get to see the principles I teach really put to the test. This podcast format is powerful. It gives you the opportunity to see yourself in other people's stories and see what you're blind to and allow you to better address it and change it. We're getting feedback that it's changing marriages and changing people, and I guarantee that it has the potential to change you and your relationship as well. I hope you enjoy this sample episode, and if you do, I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks, everyone. The couples in this series are not ongoing clients of Dr. Finlayson Fife. To ensure their anonymity, their names and identifying features have been changed, but their stories and their voices are real. Welcome to Room for Two, Couples Coaching with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Okay, so welcome Carly and Dave to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell me, if I were to be helpful to you, what would I help you solve? I think the bottom line is because of Dave's awesome choice in profession, we have done a lot of waiting in our marriage and in our life. He is an orthodontist, and so just tons of training yeah. and tons of time away, tons of separation, all that kind of stuff. And I think that I fell victim, I personally fell victim to a lot of oh, when he's done, this is going to get better. We're mm. going to connect better. We're going to set boundaries better. We're going to have time to explore intimacy more, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm raising four kids largely alone along the way. And we are actually done with training now. Like we're mm -hmm. done. He is finished. We're in quote, the better part of the experience. And we're realizing that it didn't solve everything. Shocking. Mm -hmm. no. And that has led a lot into some some resentment, some disappointment in regards to boundaries with his mom and has made me really kind of shrivel up a little bit um, sexually mm -hmm. and in those mm -hmm. kinds of ways because I've got some concerns there. Yeah. So things that you thought were going to resolve themselves, in fact, haven't resolved themselves. And so are you saying that as hard as that training may have been, some of that resentment is now more punctuated or more problematic than it was during the training period? For sure. Okay. And how long ago did training end? Two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. Like exactly. Two years ago. Okay. Good. So Dave, give me your picture of what you'd like help with or what you understand to be the challenge between you. I don't know. It's kind of hard to put into words, but the idea of, you know, being able to put so much sacrifice out there of time, effort, commitment, and kicking the proverbial can down the way to resolve issues that have come up with time and commitment and effort being put forth. But uh, having always had that crutch, at least in the past, of mm -hmm. the job and the profession take precedence over some of the other things that are, are important, just you know, those things have taken precedence up until mm -hmm. now. Yeah, they've taken precedent, but they've also maybe been a just, I'm going to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, I think you're saying they took precedent and now that they're no longer kind of there 
it's exposing something in your mind as well. So how would you define what the trouble is between you that's more evident? Uh, that's a good question. The trouble is that uh, we have a disconnect about uh, the connection that we didn't make when we should have. Mm, good. And say a little more about that. You have a disconnect about it. You understand it differently or you understand its source differently. Say more about that. Um, your default, it's always easier not to do anything, but you, you choose to do nothing. So if you choose not to go out on a date this weekend or things get busy and you don't prioritize it, you made your choice, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, at least during training, it was a lot easier to not do something because the hours were bad mm-hmm. or the schedules were bad. The fatigue was constant. Sleep deprivation was incessant. Mm-hmm. And so it was always easier not to do anything by default. Mm-hmm. So by not prioritizing time alone together and uh, spending quality time engaging in, in dating and courting, mm-hmm. I think we've lapsed a lot of the foundation, the bedrock that we originally dated upon. Mm-hmm. Those important concepts and things that we love about each other just kind of were pushed on pause and then it's been a struggle. I haven't gotten them off pause. And so what's your view, Dave, of given that you may have more time now, sounds like you do. What do you think's interfering with this focus of creating more of a partnership, or dating more, or kind of more shared experience? Breaking down the barriers of expectations, breaking down essentially what needs need to be met. What are the things that need to be to realized in order to fulfill that commitment in each other's eyes? Mm. I'm just going to stick with you for a few, couple more questions. What do you feel that Carly wants you to fulfill? If you think about whether the expectations, what do you think they are? Whether or not you agree with them? Um, that there are boundaries, first of all, set up so that uh, maybe not boundaries is the right word, but maybe that there's uh, maybe a spontaneity or at least that the want and the desire is there to be mm-hmm. able to, mm. to, to show up, to perform, to want to be able to go do something. Carly doesn't feel desired by you or that you're wanting to be with her. Is that the right idea? Yeah. Uh-huh. And this is a hard question, but the more honest you are, the more I can help you. Do you think that that's a fair read on you, that you are ambivalent about the relationship? Ambivalent is not the right word to describe it. I think that my goals are not congruent with hers right at this moment. I endeavor to have a relationship that is excellent. And I realize that my own shortcomings and personality may not arrive at the precipice of excellence. And so what am I willing to do to get to that point? Or what sorts of tools do I need to have be equipped with so that I can understand what is expected of me and then rise to the occasion? Mm. Um I was just going to make an observation and get a few of Carly's perspectives, but just one observation I have is that you are seeing or experiencing the relationship as a kind of demand or expectation that you ought to fulfill and perhaps that you want to fulfill and that you want to succeed at, but it's not so much desire driven as it is managing expectations. That's just the language or the meaning that's sort of embedded in the way you're talking about it. It's almost like if you have a thousand things to do every day mm-hmm. and you decide, I'm going to pick the top five and that's what I'm going to knock out today. We're going to get the top 
five things mm-hmm. done. If for some reason number six doesn't get done, then you know it's on me. But you know, one, two, three, four, five got knocked out. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's an issue of priority, an issue of realizing that you know four, five, uh, three, four, five weren't as important as I esteemed them to be. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I make a guess? And, you know, I'm trying to be as efficient as I can for an hour long podcast, too. So I'm going to take sort of my gut, okay, ahead of maybe what in a regular coaching session, I might allow a little more time. But it feels a bit like you're trying to be all things. You're trying to be a lot of things. The guy who's working a lot of hours trying to provide for his family, trying to keep his wife happy. And that perhaps you're feeling like you're not getting appreciated for your efforts to keep a lot of things going. Is that a fair? Life's a juggling act. I'm not going to sit there and say that I need it or anything like that, but we all have sacrifices to make and it's always good to be noticed and appreciated. I'm not saying that she doesn't do that. She certainly does. She's excellent at recognizing the effort and the time and commitment that's in place to help fulfill priorities. So I'm not refuting what you're saying. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying does an excellent job at that. You're saying that your wife does an excellent job and I'm I'm not disbelieving it, but also when I said that piece, your eyes teared up a little bit. Do you mind saying kind of what you think was happening when I said that for you? Well, to be fair, I have a light that's in my eyes here (laughs) and my eyes are quite sensitive. So this one over here is tearing because of this guy. Is that real? Or are you kidding? I mean, do you did you feel some emotion or is this 100% a light in your eyes? I, I don't know, but I'm still going here. It's a pass. <laughs> okay. Tell me honestly, again, the more honest, the more I can help you. Did you feel any emotion around that idea that you're trying to do a lot and not fully acknowledged? Uh, I do get acknowledged. I don't know what the level of sufficient is or what level needs to be at. I'd- but... You're good at avoiding questions. You're good at not being intimate. I will tell you that. You're good at masking your interior. Did you feel some emotion at the idea that you are trying to handle a lot and still have a frustrated wife? That yes. Be a fair assessment. Okay. Okay, good. That's helpful. So I'm not saying, hey, this is Carly's problem. Okay. I, I'm just trying to start to unpack what's happening here. Um Carly, why don't you tell me a little bit about what do you make of the idea that Dave and I are talking about here, which is that Dave's trying to do all the things and trying to keep you happy. And if you happen to be number six, one through five sort of fall away and he gets critiqued for six. Do you have thoughts about that idea or how you see it? Oh, yeah. It's sort of like when you try to mask your own pain because someone always has it worse than you. Mm -hmm. Um, He's chosen a very noble profession. He never missed a single day of his entire training. He is on time. We both share really common belief systems. He fulfills his callings in that belief system. And so when I start to feel this isn't enough or I'm disappointed, I was really good at hiding it for like a Mm -hmm. decade. Mm -hmm. You know how they say you should never fight when you're tired or hungry, Mm -hmm. we'll try to not fight with somebody in training because you never will because they're always tired. (laughs) They're always at a deficit. And so I hid things for a really, really long time about not feeling chosen and not being a priority. Mm -hmm. And we're ready to tackle it. Those are my thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you're identifying, Carly, this sense of like, for at least a long time, I was just tucking it away because I could see everything he was doing. And I couldn't bring this to the fore. Like I felt that it was too much to ask. Correct. Talk about what's happened in the last two years. How have you been bringing it to the fore? And then what's been happening if you have been bringing it up? Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot. He's a machine in a lot of ways that he's up at 5am and he's meditating and doing religious study and biking. And he does that so early as to not impact family time. And that's been a really transformative experience because he's brought to the table a regret Mm. about the training years, Mm. uh, about the fact that, you know, we just didn't date and we didn't address things. And he recognized those things. And I guess we're stuck in the spot now these past couple of years that every time we talk about it, we don't know how to move past it. Because mm. I'm always grabbing it. I never got picked then. I'm not getting picked now. And it's just this mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. And when you say I'm not chosen now, say what you mean by that. Give me in a little more concrete terms. Um, we've done a lot better at this. We've got two kind of persistent issues. One is just that I'm the assumed caretaker of our family. Mm-hmm. And so plans will be made and executed with the assumption that I'm still home with the kids. Mm-hmm. That's my assumed role. Whereas if I were to need to go somewhere, mm-hmm. I have to check with A, B, C, and D and organize and that kind of thing. Um, and the second is um, we just this past year moved up the road from his mom and we both feel a desire to set some boundaries there. And it has really exploded in that relationship. And so, you know, Dave has suggested that he's not part of that, if that makes sense, her and my conflict. Mm. And that has made me once again feel like we're choosing her feelings and her day-to-day happiness over mine again. Mm. And that's something we haven't resolved, haven't been able to. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I'm going to come back to some of those pieces. Tell me about your intimate experience. Like, How is your sexual relationship? Is this feeling of not being chosen, playing itself out sexually? And if so, how? Um, I would say on my part that I largely don't feel desired. Mm. I don't feel sexually desired. I don't feel in the Mm -hmm. day-to-day super desired, which we talked about earlier on. And so it takes a large amount of vulnerability to open up that way. And we really were excited about a couple years ago finishing our family. We've had our last baby and that this was like the stage to explore. And what it did is it exposed all of the things I'd been feeling for so long. And it's almost made Mm -hmm. it worse than it was Mm -hmm. when I was hiding it. And so I'm always like, I should have just not said anything. I should have just kept going on that way. But um, I would Mm -hmm. say it's probably at the forefront of our intimacy level. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have one more question, then I'm going to start giving you some ideas about what I see here. But um, how do you handle this feeling of I don't feel desired? I don't feel prioritized? How are you dealing with that now as a couple? How do you talk to Dave about it? Dave, how do you respond to it? Just give me a little bit of that picture. Um, I think that we don't really talk about it a lot. I mean, kind of what's been said has been said. But I just try to do external things that I feel like will make him like me, Mm. love me more. Entrepreneurship business has really taken off. And I thought, I'm contributing Mm. to the family in a substantial way. And maybe this will make me more desirable. Mm. 
So I guess I'm taking external actions to try and mm-hmm. appear that way to him. And I just look for the evidences in does he choose me when he has a choice? And so that's my gauge. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dave, just give me your response to what Carly is saying about not feeling desired sexually, not feeling kind of like she's a priority in your life. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? I actually feel like he really tries to validate me sexually. Mm-hmm. He constantly grabs my bum and, and he's sweet through the day and like, like that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess what I would say is I only feel desirable in that space. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd love to feel desirable in the whole. I see. So you're saying if it's specific to sex, then you do feel sexually desired, meaning you think Dave would like to have sex with me. Right. But you are saying, I don't necessarily feel desired as a whole person or that he respects me. I'm going to put some words in your mouth. You tell me if they're right. And if they're not, certainly say so. But you don't have the sense of he respects me as sort of his partner in life and his friend and the person he wants to be with when, when he has nothing else to do. Right. If it's around sex, yes. But you may think Dave wants to have sex. It's not clear if Dave wants to have sex with me. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I'd uh-huh. say that's accurate. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So Dave, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, again, the more honest you are, the more I can really get to the core issue. It's just, I know these are sensitive ideas, so it's easy to hedge. Um, I guess I'm not sure how to help her understand that, or how to show, how to, how to be demonstrative of her being a priority. I guess mm-hmm. that it's more an action than it is mm-hmm. more. So, mm-hmm. Yes. Those things that I'm doing, the things that I'm choosing, those priorities that we mentioned before need to be revisited and then altered in a way that she feels like she she makes the top mark. Yes. What I see, Dave, is that there's a way in which you're in relationship to your life that in relationship to others that makes it hard to prioritize because my sense is being with Carly is not linked to a sense of freedom and ease for you. And I think the way you're handling it is putting more shoulds on it. And I just would like to unpack that with you a little bit, because I think you're pushing on the intuitive muscle, but it's one that keeps you stuck. Before I talk about that, tell me a little bit about your view of your relationship with your mom and Carly and their relationship with each other. Yeah, that's the one. There have been several instances that I the boundaries needed to be set and established by me and they weren't and so the background behind that is is that my mom is a strong-willed individual and uh, she is largely outspoken and uh, sometimes does so uh, at the expense uh, of others. I think she's retired from the fact that she cares what anybody else thinks. And she's gone so far as to say that. Now, I don't think that that's the case for those that, you know, family members and stuff like that. I think she, she cares. And I maintain that she doesn't say or do things with the intent of hurting others with going in and causing drama or injuring somebody or hurting their feelings. However, she will, in that same realm, hurt people's feelings. Intentionally, unintentionally, I don't know, but needed to be in check, needed to be uh, made aware that certain statements aren't appreciated, aren't valid, and that she needs to be supportive and not critical in those type of moments. 
And it's been instances like that that uh, have, have come up where I needed to be the one to establish that boundary and I didn't and I wasn't mm. supportive. In those instances, I've taken the position of defending my mom instead of defending Carly by statements like I just said, she doesn't mean to hurt your feelings. She doesn't mean to mm. to make you feel this way. You know, she's not trying to hurt you. She's just mm-hmm. saying things. Giving your mom the benefit of the doubt whether or not it was deserved. Right. And whether or not it's true or not, some things, you know, just because it's true, it doesn't mean need to be said. You can certainly sit there and gauge a room and you don't have to say what you're thinking. You can still be loving. You can still be kind and you can still be supportive. Sometimes being kind means shutting your mouth. Mm-hmm. I think you're in an ambivalent position around whether or not to give your mom the benefit of the doubt. If you were to say to your mom, mom, when you say this to Carly, it hurts her and it hurts our marriage. Do you think your mom, what do you think her response to that would be? Um, I know what it would be. <laughs> okay, Carly, what would it be? It's not my intention. It's not my intention. Uh-huh. Well, intention or not, mom, I need you to stop doing it. Yeah. And what would your mom do then? I think it, coming from me is probably more powerful than anybody else because I have a, I wouldn't say that I have a unique relationship, but I'm certainly He's the favorite child, admittedly. She mm-hmm. admits that he's the favorite. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's truth. No it surprise. <laughs> should be a surprise. <laughs> but um, you're saying if your mom could track that you were telling her to not do it, she might back down. Now, that's a little different of an idea than if she understood she would back down. Yeah, I'm not sure that she fully grasps the magnitude of what statements like that have on others. This isn't the first time. I mean, she's hurt my sisters-in-laws and my own siblings. Mm -hmm. And that, Mm -hmm. she takes the same type of ambivalent type behavior. I didn't intend to hurt you. I didn't mean to do this. You're taking this all the wrong way. And I'm not here to hurt your feeling, you know, that. Right. I I think an idea that would be more helpful, I mean, than she doesn't intend to is that she does intend to because if it was strictly i have no desire to harm anyone well then if you get information that hey this hurt or hey this is interfering with my marriage mom then you're going to inhibit because you don't want to hurt that is you get information that then shapes what you do next the i didn't intend to is kind of the get out of jail free card because what i'm going to self-profess as my intentions you must buy is a way of saying, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what impact it has on you, my favorite son, or your marriage. And I think as the favorite son or the son who maybe wants to keep equilibrium with his mom, it's easy to buy into that idea rather than if my mom were to be loving. I mean, clearly she loves you. But if my mom were to function in a loving way, she would do what would make my marriage better. She would release me from obligation or loyalty to her. That's what a good parent does should do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what a good parent does. I mean, we're all bad parents at times. Okay. So, but to function as a parent and do what is good is to allow your child to thrive without you and to facilitate their freedom. I see you, Dave, as a man who is not free and you're trying to generate desire when you feel entrapped by conflicting expectations. I'll just give you some more of what I see happening and then we can kind of talk about whatever stands out to you. My sense is that you're an over-functioner. You know what that means? 
We don't, but that sounds pretty funny. <laughs> right. <don't> no. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> not not going to challenge me yet. So the, the, an over-functioner often grew up in a family where he experienced that there was a need or a demand or a need to kind of be a solver of the challenges or the stressors that were a part of family life. And sometimes the child who's most able to overfunction in a family system that is in pain or is suffering in some way is often the favored child. They're the hero child. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I can tell it's right just because that light's getting into your eyes again. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid light. (laughs) Lights. So, I mean, this is in some ways an outsider might think it's great to be a hero child because often you're the one who's getting multiple degrees and often you're the one who looks good on paper, but it's um, often like golden handcuffs where ostensibly it gets approval, but you feel beholden to solve and manage the expectations of everyone around you. This sounds right. You're both nodding. Mm -hmm. And I think one way to feel loved with an overfunctioner is you want to get on their list. Okay. So I can see why Carly would be trying to get to at least number four or five on the list, not six. (laughs) Because an overfunctioner is often and I'm going to speak to your side of this, Carly, because I think it's also hitting on a weak spot in you that you can strengthen whether or not Dave strengthens his, meaning it needs to be strengthened in you independent of Dave. But, you know, if Carly's looking to you to be high on your list or to be attended to, it's very easy for you to put this as just one other demand and just one more thing to attend to, one more reality to attend to. And even if you do attend to Carly in that frame, Carly doesn't feel chosen and loved. She feels accommodated. That may feel better than being number eight on the list, but that still doesn't solve the fundamental problem that I think you both are struggling to solve. So in my view, this is not an issue of reprioritizing. That's not the right frame. That's like of all the things I have to do, I better put you closer to the top. Okay, that's still an obligation frame, not freedom and choice and friendship based. Mm -hmm. So just give me what's in your mind before I say more. My mind is blown. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting to hear your mentality called out, not in a negative sense, but just brought to light Mm -hmm. that I'm aiming to feel at least accommodated. Like I'll take Mm -hmm. that for now Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that... Gosh, and I guess what I feel is hopeful that there's a better way mm-hmm. that you're going to help us start on a, a better way. I see very clearly with his dynamics with his siblings that he's for sure the hero child. You were to tell that to his siblings and they'd all sit here and nod because <laughs> that's what he has bridged every problem mm-hmm. in that family. You're mm-hmm. good at it. You've got great skills in that way. But it, it opens my mind to maybe the really heavy demands it places on him in a day-to-day mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah, because, I mean, I think that when you grow up as a hero child, in some ways, your sense of self is really, really constricted. So while it gets high praise, there's very little room to be human. There's very little room to be cared for. There's very little room to see yourself as somebody who could be offered some room to be flawed, human, time for yourself. 
especially of a mother who won't confront herself and deal with herself for your benefit. That's the idea that to be in a love relationship is you better keep doing the heavy lifting. That's what it asks of you. Another view I have on this is that you very likely see women as people you have to accommodate and manage to keep them happy with you. That's a framing that was inherent to the dynamic that you're at least starting to show me with your mom. So you're the solver. That's what it is to be loved and esteemed by a woman. So it's easy to think with Carly, I need to solve her feeling not sufficient. I need to solve her feeling not desired. And you're trying to solve something you can't really solve. Meaning you can confront who you're being in your relationship and in your life, but you're never going to solve your wife feeling badly about herself if she does, because it's not your burden. Who you are as a partner, who you are as a person, whether or not you relate to the whole world in an obligatory, duty-bound way, that's your burden. That's your task to solve. But you aren't ever going to give your wife self-esteem. You're not going to make her feel chosen. You'll either choose her or you won't choose her. Does that make sense, the difference? Before I say more, what makes sense about it? Just because the audience can't see you nodding. and um, Action certainly speaks louder than anything else. And so in order to, I can't, I can't shoulder the burden of her feeling a certain way, but me bringing evidence of the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in the You've, demonstration. Right. You, how you function. A lot of times people talk to me, I need to show forth love. I need to make my wife feel love. I need to, and they're framing the meaning in a way where the locus of control is outside of themselves. And they're trying to manage the minds of people around them. When you don't confront your mother, you're trying to manage her mind. Mm-hmm. When you begrudgingly do something that you think your wife needs or wants to feel better or feel less upset with you, you're trying to manage her mind. And in the system that you're talking about, you're trying to manage the minds of lots of people for you to be okay. And that's a thankless job. (laughs) It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And you don't have control over everyone's minds and trying to have control over it keeps you from being free. Tell us that there are ways to feel free. There are, I promise you. (laughs) So it's only paradoxical until you start living it and then you see it's not a paradox. But... The paradox is to be free and to be able to really love others and choose others, you have to be less controlled by what they think of you. You managing your mom's mind means your mom controls you and your marriage. Mm. Until you let your mom, I'm going to focus on her for a minute, manage her own mind, manage her own responsibility to her son and her son's wife, that until she takes on that responsibility, and she may never, right, that's her job. And You pretending with her that it's not her job undercuts you and your partnership. So again, you're nodding. Tell me what resonates about that or what. Well, it just, it speaks to the inaction, at least to me, that by, I I guess, you know, you don't choose the default, but you do choose the default by not doing something. So by not setting up a boundary, I still inherently shoulder a lot of that burden. And then by default, she gets it. That's right. That's right. I hear and appreciate what you're saying. Inaction is inaction. So I'm saying a similar thing. It is a choice. It is an action to not confront it. And so it is a validation of it or to be complicit in it through not challenging it. And that has real impact on you, on your marriage, 
And I believe your mother does it because she believes she can get away with it. I believe that. (laughs) And she's saying, if you challenge me on whether or not I can get away with it, I'll double down. That's what I'm getting from the idea that she hasn't spoken to Carly for a year, is we're going to see who's going to win at this. And that's a really heavy price to make a sensitive, I don't mean sensitive in a feminine way. I mean, sensitive, like you are obviously as an over-functioner, somebody who has felt the distress of others and wants to solve it. Spot on. Guilty. That's you. She's taking advantage of that in her good son. So the challenge for you, in my opinion, in a way, it's like to hold a boundary is to self-respect through action. Self-respect is something you do more than something you feel. The feelings come second, but the action is to say, I'm not okay, mom, with how you treat my wife. I'm not okay with the indecency and it's wreak havoc on my marriage. And to hold a boundary that's good for you and your partnership because you can't serve your mom's limitations and really choose your life and your wife. That's the scripture of to cleave, to leave your parents and to cleave. I'm not saying you need to disrespect your mom or be mean or anything like that. I mean, you're not complicit in a system where you stay a son and you never grow into an adult who has a partner. I can tell that it's hitting you, but tell me what you're feeling or thinking as I'm saying all this. Um, in the roundabout sort of way, you know, as a parent, you, at least I endeavor to raise my kids so that they can be highly functioning adults in society, contributing members. And in that transition, it's getting them to be able to do it without me there and help help themselves. And that role that my mom and I have, it seems like that relationship hasn't severed. Mm -hmm. That mother-son dynamic is still there, that it's not two fully functioning adults, but there's still a thumb in place. That's right. You know, that's there to maybe not assert dominance, but maybe that is what it is. I'm not sure. Right. She doesn't want to lose the, when you're a, mother raising a child, you're the epicenter of that child's life. It gives you a strong sense of identity and self and value. One of the hardest things to do as a good mother is to truly let that child grow out of needing you and to tolerate the loss of doing the right thing and the challenge to your identity. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. I think a lot of her worth in her world is made up in her identity as a mom. And so I think that she fears the loss of that dynamic. I think that she fears that with uh, scorched earth mentality. Yes. And, you know, being human is tough. Being a parent is tough. Letting go of an identity that's mattered to you and defined you in order for your children to thrive takes moral courage. A lot of people would rather keep everyone pinned down than to go through that process. I'm not here to judge your mom harshly for how she's handled it in the sense that I don't know if I were in her shoes, if I would have done it differently. What I'm here is to invite you to not be complicit in it because it's bad for you. It's bad for your wife. It's bad for your relationship to your children, actually, because as long as you keep participating in that dynamic with your mom, you're much more likely to overfunction in bad ways with your children that their ability to take up their own responsibility will be impaired by your sense that you should step in or solve when it really should be on them to solve. It will keep a dynamic of your wife trying to pursue, at me, 
Carly gets to make her own choices and I'm going to talk to her for a bit before we stop, but it makes it easy to keep you as the reference point when you need very much for it to be eased up if you're going to really have a partnership. So Carly, just tell me where this is hitting you, what some of your thoughts are. Oh, I think my thoughts land very deeply with how hard it is to let go that you want your parents to be proud of you. Mm-hmm. I feel that way. Sure. I, I love my parents and I want them to be impressed with me and proud of me. And uh, I feel bad for him that because of some behaviors and what it's exhibiting, that that kind of conversation is probably going to make her really mad. And by default, does that make him not the hero son anymore? And is that just... It couldn't happen to a better person <laughs> to not be the hero son anymore. It's not a great role. It's a really entrapping role. And I'm not saying you can't do a lot of good in the world. In fact, you could do more good when your identity is not dependent upon being an overfunctioner who's taking on burdens that are not his. There's no virtue in it. Status, but status with a lot of cost. It's just so amazing because as I learn more about his childhood, I think you've been like this since you were teeny. Um, yes. These just, roles get assigned often early. You know, often it's yeah. the bright child, the child who has social capacity, the more sensitive child. I mean, the scapegoat child is often the one who's a little more rebellious or who doesn't take on those roles as easily, but they create half people, not full people. Mm. They are relationships of use, a parent using a child. The energy is going from the child to the parent, not the other way around. And in functional systems, the parents are confronting themselves to be and to evolve in ways that facilitate the child's uniqueness and their capacity for them to be free and to live without dependency on the parents. That, though, takes courage to do it. A lot of us unwittingly don't do it well. You know, we keep our kids dependent on us. You bring up an interesting point. I don't know if it's fair to talk about how our faith plays into this mm, during sure. this podcast recording, but we're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we had a conversation the other day, and I haven't even expressed this to you yet, but we were talking about like, what are the great fruits that we get from the gospel? What, like, mm-hmm. what do we see? What do we love? And he said something interesting that I wonder if it plays into this and maybe help us navigate it where... He said something like, you know, my biggest fear is that I'm going to get on the other side and my heavenly parents are going to be like, you knew better. Mm. You knew better. And so it's this desire to keep that parent happy or that wife happy or is that connected? Well, yes. I mean, uh, one thing I've sometimes said is that we're all worshiping a false God. So many of us, well, all of us have a limited notion of who God really is because it's based on our development more than who God is. So we are doing our own projection. And usually we are starting at about who our parents were plus a little better when we think of God. But it can really limit our idea about who God is, what God is asking of us, because often it's in this pleasing frame rather than integrity and agency, wisdom, discernment. We sometimes just make it all about obey and yield and please. And that's not an unusual place to start when thinking about God, but it's important to grow out of that framing if you're really going to develop in your moral capacity 
and your freedom, the truth sets you free, right? We are that we might have joy. But so many of us don't really believe those things. We think it's more about duty and should and slogging it out and until you're just like resentful and bitter, and then you're just going to have a big mansion on the other side. Okay. Again, (laughs) this is how a lot of us think. And we don't have happy marriages and we don't have a sense of real joy in this precious life that we have. And I think it's wrongheaded. I think it's not good theology. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's about seeing what is and making wiser choices. And so what I'm suggesting to Dave is to be awake to this dynamic that's very familiar and that your mind has developed itself around. To break it is no small thing. To challenge it is a big deal because it's so familiar and so core to your sense of what it is to be Dave. But breaking it is to create freedom and to also allow the possibility of your mom growing up. Now that's on her, but she can't get validation of her broken system through you anymore if you break it. It's a kindness. So Carly, let me just say a little bit to you. Tell me about you relative to this. Like, Tell me about what you see in yourself around this sort of struggling to get on Dave's list. And what's your thought about yourself in that idea? Um, I think it started early on in his training where... I was like a scorekeeper, so to speak, in our marriage for so long. And because the studies were so intense, we went through four or five years of not dating. We just didn't date because every waking minute had to go into that. And everyone else was dating. And so I just felt like we were so different or why, you know, if they can do it, why can't we do it? And then these little pockets of time would open up on a weekend where a, you know, five on five soccer game would show up and he would choose to go play that. And I'd have to be down at the park with all the kids while he played. So again, there was somehow space for that and not space for me. And so I think I've really kept score in a, and I say that out loud, totally embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kept score along the way that I just was never picked. I just, it wasn't the dating. If there was a window of time, it was for soccer or mm-hmm. a different project. Um, mm-hmm. And then We've obviously talked extensively about his relationship with his mom. We met with a therapist to create boundaries. And when we had that conversation, it exploded and he got away unscathed and is still Mm. able to see them and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of the enemy in the room. Mm. And so I don't even know what choosing me would look like in that setting, but I'm looking for clearly, as I'm saying this out loud, Mm. I'm looking for external proof that he's picking me when there's a path to the left and a path to the right. That yeah, he picks well, me. Well, I, I think, okay, so let me tell you where I think that's right and then where I think it's vulnerable for you. I think it's fair to say, I want to be chosen. Like, I want a partnership marriage. Um, I notice it's significant to me if you let me get hung out to dry and you choose your anxiety or equilibrium with your mother over me. That's real. I see it for what it is. It is a kind of use of me. And so I think it's right to understand and see your husband's choices for good or for ill, right? If you really want a partnership marriage, it does mean severing emotionally in this kind of enmeshed way with a parent and choosing a partner and growing into that adult position. And it can be easy to pull off not doing that 
And a lot of people do that in their marriages and undermine their marriages. Caring whether or not Dave is doing that is important, but it's not the same thing as looking to Dave to manage the question of your value and to answer the question of your desirability because you're putting the locus of control into him when he may not be in a position to answer it because of where he's functioning. So it's misplaced. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what he's doing. You can watch his behavior to know if he behaviorally wants a partnership marriage with you. Meaning, I might talk to myself like this. My husband thinks of me as someone to be solved or managed because this is how he related or has related to people that matter to him. And I don't want to be complicit in that frame where I'm pressuring and he yields because then I'm making that sufficient. And you want more. Well, you want more, right? You're saying, I don't want to be accommodated. You have to look at your behavior, right? Because you may in your anxiety go for accommodation as opposed to being chosen. But you want to be careful with yourself because again, (laughs) self-respect is something you do, not something you feel. Well, you you feel it later, but you often have to do what is self-respecting. So you want to make sure you're not falling into the pressure him to accommodate. He accommodates. He feels like I've solved this rather than the harder and more intimate position of really out of his own volition, partnering with you, choosing a friendship with you, being willing to be honest with you, not just manage you, being willing to expose his own fear and limitations to you. That's partnership. You want to think about how do I need to behave in my partnership with Dave in my moment of frustration in a way that I respect that whether or not Dave chooses me, whether or not he faces his anxiety around this, that at least I respect myself at the end of this interaction. I can't make my husband desire me, but I can operate in a way that I know is desirable. I can operate in a way that I know is strong and clear-headed and self-respecting. I can ask for more, but not like, please give it to me, all the power is in you, but that no, Dave, I want a real marriage. And I see you not choosing a real marriage and it's disappointing to me. That's more self-respecting and honest, but not take care of me. And just speaking to a cultural piece again, and then it will stop. And if you guys want to do a follow-up in a couple of months or something, we could do that. Um, But there is a cultural element often in how we think about marriage, that it's men taking care of women. Okay. That the woman's hooking her cart to this man, the horse. And he's doing the heavy lifting and making her happy. It's the Cinderella story. It's like, look, I've compromised all my development to be in relationship with you and you're doing a crap job and making me happy. Okay, That's, that's what a, a lot of people are in that framing of kind of caretaker and caretaken. And that might work for a role-based marriage or for the production of family, but it doesn't work for an intimate marriage and a friendship marriage, and a partnership marriage, which so many people want. A marriage I just about die when you say that, when you say the production of a family, because mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not what we signed up for. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we're pretty mm-hmm. honest. We want the extraordinary, not the mm-hmm. mediocre. So you say it in that term, and I just die. I just shrivel inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are so many, if, especially if you're people who are should-focused or easily go to that, well, there's all plenty of demands to keep you from creating an extraordinary marriage. If you want a real partnership marriage, 
you have to put a boundary around the two of you and create a sacred space or a space that doesn't get taken from. That's about creating a friendship between two adults who are also raising children, earning a living, and responding to other expectations in life, but that you've actually chosen something where you're freer, where you have real friendship. But that's deliberate. No one's going to hand you that. I bet it's worth it. (laughs) It is worth it because then at the end of the day, you climb into bed with a person who's really your friend, who really knows you, who you're not demanding things of or being demanded from because you're friends. You're good to one another. And there's a peace and a kind of um, solace in that relationship that helps you deal with the stressors outside of it. That's well worth creating. So tell me just what the experience has been like for you or what you're taking from it, and then we'll stop. For me, mm. this experience, I assume that's what you're referring to. Yes. Uh-huh. It's good to have uh, an outside perspective. It's good to be able to hear behaviors and actions being called, being called out for what they are and uh, not being able to hide behind the mask of trying to be a peacekeeper or any role. Mm-hmm. That. So uh, for me, I appreciate the, uh, the point of view, the mm. contrast of being able to see it from a perspective that I hadn't considered before. Great. And I just want to highlight something you said, which I think is spot on, which is the mask of being a caretaker. It's like a way to hide and not be in a more intimate place. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And through action, you could create more space for you to be real. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Carly, any thoughts about what today has been like for you? Yeah, I come away with a couple of really strong takeaways. Number one is just total awareness of the burden he has lived with. Mm-hmm. For so long, I just have never heard that expressed, talked about, tackled, and I cannot imagine what that would be like. I am not the favorite child, so mm-hmm. I <laughs> I have not seen that in action, but I, wow, my mind has just really opened up and softened towards him for the role that he's been playing for so long. Um, I'm excited for him to feel more free. Mm. Um and then probably my other big takeaway is that the idea of just constantly placing demands on him is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't create that soup, that excellent mm-hmm. marriage you were mentioning there at the end. It made me so hope-filled. And I feel like I have fallen into that take care of me because I've thought that was mm-hmm. desirable, right? Mm-hmm. I thought the man would want to take care of the woman. And so I've fallen into that on so many occasions. And I think what he sounds like, maybe what is going to be best is for us to be partners and friends and good to each other. Like you said, Um, that is so helpful to me. Right. Awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast. So I just wanted to say a little bit about my session with Carly and Dave. Wonderful couple, really. And... I think the piece that I most want to clarify is in the end, Carly started to talk a bit about that she shouldn't be asking so much of Dave. And I think I know what she's saying, uh, but I just want to clarify this point a little bit. The challenge is looking to him as the source of her value, the source of her clarity about her desirability. 
And because he operates so readily as an overfunctioner or someone who feels it's his job to solve the needs of the people around him, this is a very attractive place to go if you're feeling insecure. So Carly probably was drawn to this tendency in him. And because he is so busy solving the whole world, he's not very available to her. And so this further underscores her tendency or desire to look to him to tell her she's enough. Now, I want to make a distinction between that idea and the idea of expecting to be chosen and engaging with the expectation of creating a partnership. So this is not to be devoid of any expectations or desires in the relationship, but it's this issue of source of self-respect. Dave is not the source. Carly is the source for her self-respect. This requires her looking at, and we didn't have time to address this in the session today, but she may well have a family history that would make looking to another strong or seemingly strong person to attend to her, solve something for her. I don't know for sure that that's what her history is. It could just be an expression of this sense in the relationship that she can't get the love that she wants and her trying to earn it through either being quiet or earn it through asking a lot or earn it through being the right kind of woman for him. Those are all the wrong frames. The right frame again is her operating in her life in a way that she respects operating in a way that keeps it clear for her that she deserves to be chosen, that she deserves to be valued. So this doesn't mean never asking anything of him, but again, she's operating from an expectation of creating a partnership and creating something solid between them. So this is not about not having expectations, but not having him solve the question of her value and what she deserves. So I hope that makes sense. Second thing I just want to comment on in this case, and it's not an unusual phenomenon, is often the person in Dave's position will have low desire in the marriage. It doesn't always express itself as low desire sexually, but it often does. Sometimes the person in that over-functioning running around trying to be everything for everyone position doesn't desire their wife because it's one more person to take care of. If the marriage moves into a caretaking frame, which this marriage is vulnerable to, it can be easy to not desire that needy partner. So sometimes that over-functioner will look for more invulnerable forms of being sexual. I know nothing about it in this particular couple, but sometimes that over-functioning person is still sexual but doesn't want to be sexual in the marriage. And so, again, because desire is so linked to the sense of being free, it can be hard in an intimate partnership where you feel you have to manage their sense of self to feel free enough for your sexuality to thrive there. 
Okay, I hope these ideas are helpful to you. Of course, we'll continue to build on these ideas as we see them in different cases and different sessions that I do in the future. Thanks for participating with me. To access more coaching sessions like this one, visit the link to the website in the show notes below. There you can learn more about the podcast and subscribe to it.